Hi, this is Anthony Esposito from the infamous Ace Freely Band. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hi, this is Bruce Keeley. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, everyone, this is Dave Menachetti from YNT. This is Dave Starr from Wildstar. What's up? This is Doc Coyle from the band God Forbid. All right, this is Jason from uh, Kings of Modesty. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Age of Evil. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, what's up? This is Mercedes from Kitty. I'm Rasmus Gruberg from New Keepers of the Water Towers. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owen. Hey, this is Steven from I Wrestled a Bear Once. Hey, this is Tara. And this is Ivy. And we're half of Kitty. Hey, this is Wolf from the Chariot. This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hi, this is Robert Flushman. Hey, everybody. This is Bobby Rock. Hey, this is Zach from Nonpoint. Hey, this is Frank from New Revolution. And you're listening to... Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Robbie Crane from Rat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Go get them. Hey, what's up? This is Joe from Misery. Hey, this is John from Misery. Hey, this is Dale Lorenzo from Hades, Nonfiction, The Curse, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Guy from Avalon, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumblefoot, fan of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Uh, hey, what's up? This is Liam from Cancer Bat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up? This is Jose from Bonnet by Blood, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. You're listening to Mars Attack. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. How you doing? This is Frankie Benelli from Quiet Riot, letting you know that Victor rocks on Mars Attack Radio. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Episode number 20 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And remember, anything that you hear during these podcasts can be downloaded or listened to directly from MarsAttacksRadio.com. In any event, this episode contains two interviews. One with Patrick from Heaven Below, formerly of Union Underground. Actually, we started the show out with Heaven Below's cover of the Pat Benatar classic Heartbreaker. And now we have Union Underground's Across the Nation was the theme song for WWE's Monday Night Raw for many years uh, before they switched a bunch of times. Now they're using a, a Nickelback song. Uh, in any event, we're going to jump into that interview. And then after, we're going to have Chris from In This Moment 
uh, doing a short interview with us as well. In any event, let me leave you with a little Union Underground. You know, a lot of people assume that if you have a song that receives a decent amount of airplay or, you know, in your case with Union Underground, you guys had a song that was featured on uh, weekly programming for WWE and stuff like that, that automatically you're filthy rich. Um, In most cases, that's, you know, the, the farthest from the truth. I mean, you've seen that firsthand. What has, you know, getting recognition on a show or getting, you know, random airplay here and there really affected your career? How has that affected your career? Yeah, well, I'll be real straight up with you. Um, When you do a theme song for something like the WWE, you do get a fat check up front. You do get, you know, uh, something close to six figures just for doing that one song. And and for us starving musicians, you know, that's a payday. If somebody hands you a hundred grand, that's pretty, that's some real money for somebody that could barely get guitar strings. Right. And, and even to this day here in 2010, I still make residual royalties off it. So I'm definitely huh. not complaining about that at all, but rich, I don't know. Um, you know, I have family members that are doctors and they make a hell of a lot more than I do. So <laughs> rich doesn't really come until you've sold millions of records repeatedly you know, right. like a band like Disturbed or Linkin Park, you know, if you go to the guys in Drowning Pool's house, it's not going to be a mansion, you know, and those guys make money, of course, but there's a big difference between the dudes uh, in some of the real big bands than your newer bands. Your newer bands are not rich. It takes a lot to get there. Right, right, right. Yeah, and a lot of people also don't realize that with up-and-coming bands, you do have to spend a lot of money on promotion. You do have to spend a lot of money on you know, recording albums and so on and so forth. So maybe if you do have, you know, a big payday, that money gets, you know, reinvested right back into the band. It isn't as if, you know, you're 
floating around with, you know, all the bling and in the back of a, a hot tub in the back of a limo automatically, you know? Yeah, exactly. And now that record companies are so are changed so much, they don't give big advances like bands in the, even in the 90s or early 2000s would have got. You don't sign a deal and they say, here's half a million dollars uh, to invest in the band. It just doesn't work like that. So, you know, I, I don't think for rock musicians it's that much of a shock. You know, we're used to uh, being happy just to get new gear and, and feed ourselves. So, we don't, if we're, most real rock musicians don't get into it thinking they're going to just be real rich overnight. <laughs> right. With regards to Union Underground, why didn't things work out with the band? It was just the common cliched pitfalls. Uh, we managed to squeeze them all after one record instead of waiting 10 records uh, <laughs> from drugs <laughs> to, to money, business, financial problems. And there was a there was a huge backlash, if you will, of all these new metal bands, and you know only the only ones that lasted were like what Disturbed, maybe Static X or whoever, and we were one of those bands that um, we couldn't survive. The label Sony Columbia had gotten rid of 75 artists that week, wow. all the way up to Ozzy, who didn't renew his contract, and we were one of those bands, and that really wasn't the big deal because I had. I, I talked to Roadrunner Records and a lot of people that wanted to sign the band, but we were just in horrible shape. The singer was straight up on drugs, and it, there were some business financial problems that were horrendous. So I said, you know what? It's time to end this thing. I started it, and I'm going to end it. So that's what I did. Gotcha. Okay. And um, was there anything specific that you set out to do when putting Heaven Below together? Absolutely. My number one thing after Union Underground ended, and, and I love Union Underground, don't get me wrong, but I wanted to do a band where I could be more in control and I could have I could do guitar solos, the drummer could play fast double bass, we could do cover songs that were fun to do, and there wasn't this whole fitting in with the new metal crowd bullshit. It was totally, it's time to make music that we want to make. And, you know, it's funny, as soon as you start having fun and enjoying your music, suddenly it seems like everybody else seems to like it too. And that's what's <laughs> happened with Heaven Below. Gotcha. Okay. And with Union Underground, you obviously only played guitar. You didn't sing at all. How difficult was I that? Did, okay. Yeah, well, okay. I did sing in Union Underground, but just on the demos and, and live, I would sing like all the backups. And uh, that was the thing I was felt held back because people would hear our demos or they had seen me before playing in my top 40 cover band, you know, at that time before Union Underground. And people were like, wow, you can sing. So it really wasn't a stretch for me to sing in Heaven Below. The only question was to make sure that when people come to see the band is that I look on stage like I'm the singer. In other words, I didn't want to be the guy who stares at his pedal board and looks like he's hiding behind his guitar. It was important <laughs> to me to look like I was the lead singer. And I don't mean right. like aesthetically, I just mean just the, the energy that I give off. Right, I got you. Okay, so it really yeah. wasn't a stretch at all. You were more or less looking for that role as well. It wasn't as if you guys at any point contemplating adding a lead singer. You felt that you were going to sing right off the bat and play guitar as well. Yeah, I could already sing in the studio. The only the only thing I had to make sure to do is that I could sing 12 songs in a row without sounding like I lost my breath. And right. uh, that was the hardest part, because singing one song is easy. Singing 12 <laughs> can be harder. It's kind of like the difference between sprinting and running a marathon, you know? Right. And that's been one of the funnest challenges, is making sure that, oh, wow, here, I just sang 10 songs, and now I'm going to sing the hardest one. That's been the funnest challenge. 
Gotcha. Okay. And um, on certain news sites, I've seen them mention that the self-titled album that's about to come out is your debut album. But correct me if I'm wrong, you guys have actually put out two other releases previous to this album, right? Yeah, yeah. We had an indie release that came out in March of last year, and it even charted in the indie charts. It was called Countdown to Devil. And then we released uh, a digital album called Reworking the Devil that was just live tracks recorded out here on Sunset Strip and just some weird acoustic versions. And we had just put it out thinking, you know, just, you know, for the people to come see us live. But people started wanting it, and it started getting requests, so we went ahead and put them into CD form again and, uh, you know, on iTunes and all that stuff. So, yeah, we do actually have some some other albums. Okay, cool. And with the self-titled album, you guys worked with Ben Moody, right? Yeah, exactly. Ben uh, produced a song called When Daylight Dies. It's our single. Okay, I got you. So he only worked with you guys on that one single. How involved was he in the uh, writing process of that song, or was he just involved in the recording process? He was just involved in the recording and producing. He had heard my demo. Um, the cool thing about living out here, what we do, is we're friends with you're friends with a lot of people that that are successful or trying to be successful. And you know, you'll hang out with people and play a guitar, and they'll come to your rehearsal room and. He heard my my demo for When Daylight Dies, and he said, I have to produce that song for you. Huh. Uh, he said, I don't have the time to do the whole album, but you got to let me do that one song. Okay. Who produced the uh, rest of the album? Yeah, the, I produced the rest of the album, and then okay. the, new, the brand new album, me and Jesse, the guitar player, produced it. Gotcha. Okay. And how difficult is it for you to step into that ring and sort of set the music aside and look at it you know, from a producer standpoint? It's not that hard. I've always had a recording uh, facility at my disposal, or I was that guy that always had a four-track when he was a little kid, and then I had an eight-track, and then I had eight apps in the in the 90s and everything. Um, it's not that hard. I like to bounce stuff off people, but basically I just write as many songs as possible, and then I just kind of play devil's advocate, and I just sit back and, and let the material tell me what to do with it. Sometimes it's throw it away. Sometimes it's make it perfect. <laughs> With a self-titled album, what did you set out to do differently from Countdown to Devil? Uh, the self-titled album, we're more of a cohesive band. So we've toured a few times since that first Countdown to Devil album. So I think just basically capture what the band is right now and just get in there and kind of be a little more raw. Not that Countdown to Devil was overproduced, even though Ben Moody put strings on that song and orchestra and stuff we really set out to make the self-titled a simpler more raw album okay so to more or less give you more of like a live feel what it would be when people actually see you guys play in concert exactly because we feel like a lot of artists abuse the pro tools and the studio you know all the technology so the the best thing i think now is to utilize technology but don't abuse it you know it's not that we want to be the white stripes but we want it to sound like the way we sound in our rehearsal room right i got you and that's funny that's uh i've done a few interviews this week with bands of all different types of rock and metal and that's been a common theme actually with a lot of bands wanting to look for that live sound and and try to steer away from you know, what people have grown accustomed to over, say, the last five to ten years with the uh, uh, Pro Tools generation. Um, 
on the one hand, you know, people want to get away from a certain sound that maybe has become all too popular. And on the other hand, you know, bands just want to go in, record a fun live album and, and be able to play the entire album live when they get out of the studio. Exactly. And that's what, that's what we want to do because we, the last thing we would want is for people to think the band isn't believable or realistic. And, uh, yeah, I, I hate when people overtune their, their vocal to sound like the bad rap songs or something, you know, like <laughs> I despise that. And we don't want the drums to sound like a drum machine. We want to hear our drummer on the tracks. <laughs> right. So, so there will be no share like, uh, um, vocoder or whatever that's called uh no the auto tuner no auto-tuner. there's no auto tuner on our, on our album <laughs> I, I rarely even doubled my vocal tracks it's rare that i'll that i'll double the vocals okay cool um you guys also are going to be covering pat benatar on this album whose idea was to cover this specific track yeah, it was kind of a came out as a joke. We had been playing Motorhead's The Ace of Spades on our tour, and when we got home, we were talking about, you know, what we're going to go when we play out again, and we were playing Ace of Spades, and, and as a joke, I was singing Pat Benatar's vocal from Heartbreaker over Motorhead Ace of Spades. Huh. And it sounded so funny, and we were laughing at it, but then we kind of realized that it sounded kind of cool. So we, we said, well, let's try to play that song like Motorhead would have done it. And that's what we came up with, was that version. Cool. Was there ever any other songs that you guys ended up toying around with, or was that the cover you guys were going to add right from the start? No, it was a last-minute thing. I didn't want to do covers, because we had a cover on Countdown to Devil, and it did get a shitload of downloads from iTunes, but I didn't want to repeat that cover thing. So it was a last-minute screwing-around decision. Gotcha. Okay. Um, as far as the songwriting process within the band, um, does the entire band write together? Does someone write the bulk of the music? How do you guys approach that aspect? Well, thus far, we're still a new band, and uh, thus far it's been me doing all the writing. But some of the recent demos, Jesse, our, our guitar player, has, has brought some riffs to me that are really cool. So I plan on turning it into a, a family affair, but uh, thus far it's been me doing all the writing and it's not that I'm trying to be a control freak or pretend I'm Trent Reznor. It's just, that's how it came out. Cause I'm, I, I write songs every single day, basically. Okay. I gotcha. So in the future, you may expand things on following releases where Jesse's playing or Jesse's writing, I should say is, is more incorporated. Absolutely. All my favorite bands have always had, you know, at least a couple guys that are writing or if not the whole band and it's definitely not a solo project you know even though you'll see my name on all the credits it's it's, a, it's still a band it's not me trying to service myself or anything right so you write songs every day but how many of those songs do you actually say all right this is you know right off the bat this will go on our next album or i may hang on to you know this riff and you know, by the time this cycle's completed, if it's still, you know, worthwhile, I'll include it on the next album. Or do you just... You know, that... Yeah, that's a hard thing to say. That Like, right now, as I'm here in my studio, I have a, a dry erase board that has 28 songs I've written in the past two months. Okay. And what I do is I, I, I scratch demo them, and I'll bounce them off the band, because something that I won't think is that great 
they'll think is great. You know, that happened to our song King of Nothing that, that's on our new album. It, it was an old song that I'd rewritten 50 times, and everybody kept asking why it wasn't on there. So I'll just kind of bounce it off people. Sometimes when you write the songs, it's hard to know which are the best ones because you're just pouring yourself out with some riffs and some lyrics. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, I noticed on your website also that um, you just recently received an endorsement from BC Rich. You've been playing BC Rich since uh, Union Underground, haven't you? Yeah, they were really good to me in Union Underground days. I still have all the guitars they've given me, and I hadn't talked to them for a while. And just like record labels, they had a lot of shakeups, and, and different people had came in and took over the company. And lo and behold, one of my buddies from my PV endorsement back in the day, back in the day, of course, 2001, he's the vice president of BC Rich Guitars. And he contacted huh. me and asked if I still played him. And I said, I can't believe you're, you're the vice president. And so sure enough, they got involved and loved the band. And so we're, we're BC Rich all over again. Cool. Awesome. Um, what's your setup like um, on the guitars that you're currently using? Do you have BC Rich... Um, set up specific hardware for you or is it just what comes stock from the factory? Well, the ones they gave me uh, in the past have been like custom shop models. Um, they're not like my personal model, but they'll be, I'll call them and, and they'll, they'll set them up for me. Like for instance, here I'm holding one of my seven string mockingbirds and uh, I'll have them put like the Floyd Rose on it and maybe sometimes the EMG pickups, depending, or my favorite pickup is the Seymour Duncan JP. And I'll do six and seven string models. Okay. And then they sent me some real weird stuff. Like if you remember that band Cole Chamber from the 90s, mm -hmm. the guitar player Meigs had his own signature model that, that they only made a real limited run and they gave me the last one. And it's one of my favorite guitars. It's like a Telecaster arch top. No and kidding. it's got one pickup. It's so cool. And people are like, where did you get that guitar? And uh, I, don't, I don't think they ever even sold this model. Does that ever leave your studio? It, I did tour with it once. And then when I realized how rare it was, I, it doesn't leave my studio anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's one of those things. I, I was reading online about um, uh, someone that had played a festival here in Spain and um, the lead guitarist in the band had a one-of-a-kind guitar that was stolen at the festival. So, Oh, that's dangerous. Okay, yeah, I need to hear stuff like that, so I'll, I'll bring out my cheaper models once we get up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, apparently the, the deal was actually it was the lead guitarist for um, Chris Isaacs, and Bob Dylan was playing, and they had left all of their gear in the VIP section. Uh, of the festival, and by the time Dylan was done playing, that specific guitar was the only thing that had gone missing. So, Jesus, that's scary. I bet you somebody, some tech, some guitar tech is still hurting from that. Uh, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, as far as uh, tuning goes, what do you usually uh, tune to? For the most part, uh, we're doing a half-step tuning. Um, if it's on the sixth string, it's drop D, kind of like Van Halen. Okay. Um, but on my seven strings, I actually drop the low B all the way down to, and I got to look at my tunings on the side of the guitar, all the way down to a, a an A sharp or a G sharp, depending. So gotcha. it's, that's like that's a little lower than corn, but we don't we don't just chunk on that low thing like corn. We just use it where we want to. Right. I, I got you. 
And as far yeah. as the rest of your gear, what amps, pedals, and other outboard equipment do you use? I'm still using my 5150s back from Union Underground days, and I still love those amps. And uh, let me see, I pulled out an old Marshall JCM 800 that my mom bought me when I was 14, and I used that on some of the album too. It sounds really killer. It's an old Marshall. But right. for the most part, when you see us live, it's all 5150s for me. And then Jesse uses a VHT Pitbull. Okay. Which is really cool. And then he has a processor called a, a TC Electronics GeForce. Okay. And then I have a similar processor called a Lexicon, uh, what is it called? GPX2 or MPX2. And we'll get our effects from those processors, and we have the we have the MIDI pedal boards, and it's not a it's not you know a crazy setup, but it's enough to make it so we can do exactly like our album sounds. Okay, um, have you tried any of the new 5150 amps that um, Eddie Van Halen's been putting out, or I guess Fender's been putting out under the Eddie Van Halen name? Yeah, my buddy uh, in Texas, his band opened for us when we were touring there, and he had the 5153. And it sounded killer. I mean, I'd be real interested in, in hooking up with that. My only my only thing I didn't like about it is the size of the head is so big that it looks like you'd have to get a custom-made road case if you're touring with it, which really pissed me off. Other than that, it's killer. Gotcha. Yeah, the reason that I bring that up is when talking gear, a lot of people have that have used the 5150 in the past have been shifting over to the 5153. So it was... You know, kind of neat that you're still actually using that 5150 head. And, you know, I've seen plenty of people that are still using that head so many years later, you know. Oh, man, it's a workhorse. And it's it's so cool because the gain on it, you don't even have to crank the gain up. It already has that sound without having to dial it in. If anything, you've got to tame the amp because it's too powerful. As far as touring is concerned, what are you guys looking to do tour-wise? Well, in the past, what we did on the last album and for the digital album, we toured all through California uh, and everywhere in between from here in Texas and then came back. But we have a real management company involved now, and it's looking like we're going to go out with some big bands late this summer. I'm actually waiting to find out in the next 48 hours who it's going to be with. I can't say anything yet, but... The good thing about living out here, as you know, is you're friends with these bigger bands. So it's looking like we might be out with some of our heroes slash friends, you know. Cool. So we'll have to uh, keep an eye out to see who you guys hook up with. For sure. We'll definitely know soon. It'll be all over our website and everything. Do you have any favorite tour stories from either Union Underground or from uh, Heaven Below? That uh... Yeah. God, there's so many. <laughs> is there one like favorite story that you could share? Yeah, my most recent one, you know, I have all the cool ones from Ozfest and hanging out with Marilyn Manson and stuff like that, but my favorite one is a little more recent when Heaven Below did its first tour for Countdown to Devil. Uh there was a group of kids, we have street teamers that that do promoting for us before right. we come play. And there was a group of kids, oh boy, I can't remember if it was I think it was Arizona or was it Northern California? I think they're in Arizona. And they had done a bunch of street teaming for us, and some of them were underage. But uh, when we came to play the local club, they had helped us fill it up, and it was awesome. And they were so excited to be able to hang out with a band that they had street teamed for. And 
it was just, uh, it was surreal to them. I think we got them drunk, even though they were underage. <laughs> and they said that most of the bands they hang, they try to hang out with usually blow them off. And they were just so surprised that we were real and that we didn't come off like a bunch of L.A. snobs. Huh. And uh, we still we still talk to him. We see him on the net and everything. And and it, it, I was reminded that no matter how big or what happens, it's just all about being connected with people like that. So that's right. kind of my proud my proud moment so far. Gotcha. And and that's interesting. You know, it's usually the the bigger a band gets, the nicer they are to their fans. Or if someone has had you know a lot of interaction with their fans in the past, they don't take you know, that stuff for granted, um, at least me personally doing these interviews, usually the bands that are probably have less of a presence online or anything like that, or, or have like no previous reputation or the ones that are trying to build a reputation for some reason tend to uh, sort of take for granted, you know, those people that are going out there and trying to, to push their shows and everything else. Yeah. Well, with, you know, with today's day and age with the technology and everything, we're we're a band that's totally aware of uh of how many other new bands there are out there you know i mean we don't act like we're the only good new album so we really want to go out of our way to let people know that we're tangible you can all it's really us on the myspace the facebook and the internet you know it's always really us we don't have a team of people you know answering emails or anything okay i got you um the self-titled album when does that officially come out I'm looking at my calendar. Our, our manager said it's either August 10th or 17th. So I'm going to say to be safe, it's by the 17th. It'll be out of next month. Okay. Um, how many songs off of that do you think will be included in your set list? Um, thus far, we've been putting like half of them, like at least three, if not four, will be okay. on there for sure. Yeah. Okay. And um, you just mentioned the MySpace and the Facebook and all that. What's the best place for people to find out about the band? I would say heavenbelow.com because we kind of round everything up right there, and then it goes out to the Facebook and MySpace, and that's kind of the social communities. But heavenbelow.com is is still old school place to find the, the most initial information. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. You're listening to Mars Attacks the place where you hear all the new loudest rock. Still I count the days and nights since I survived This lonely abyss is the place I've learned to hide But the memories conflict with the story I keep in my mind And reality comes over me like darkness to blind. I can't.
go a little heaven below with when daylight dies go and check them out the album is up on iTunes uh, very cool guy Patrick and uh, pretty much let me ask him about anything you know you talk to certain bands and they want to skirt the issue of you know former bands and whatnot he was willing to uh, talk about anything and I have to thank him for that also have to thank Chip and Jen from Chipster PR for helping arrange that. Um, also, we have Chris from In This Moment coming up, another guy who is willing to talk about pretty much everything. And uh, what we're going to do is, same as this interview, we're going to get into some music by In This Moment before jumping into the interview segment with Chris.
started here. Uh, did you feel any type of pressure when writing this album? Absolutely. We, we felt a lot of pressure on this album just because, you know, we've been a band now for almost six years, seven years, and, and we're on our third record, and we all desperately want to, to be successful at this, and, and we need to make a living doing it, you know? We're, we, you know, a lot of us work other jobs and things like that, and we want to be able to just do music for a living. So we felt a lot of pressure to make this record better than anything we've ever done, and for this to be the record that that takes us to where we need to be. You know what I mean? So right. but that was just a lot of pressure on everything, the whole, the whole process. Okay. Uh, that's, that's understandable. And, you know, especially the way that the music industry is now, you know, how many bands even get a chance to, to record a third album? So, I mean, uh, it's cool that you guys have had the opportunity to do that and, and further what you guys have done so far. Oh yeah, we're and we're grateful. I mean, we're happy to be in the position that we're in. We just want to make them make the most out of it, you know, and make the best album we can make. You gotcha. have to define who it is. Okay, and gauging from the first single, Gun Show, uh, it sounds heavier than anything that came off of uh, the Dream. The only exception maybe uh, uh, the Great Divide. Um, is the new album, Star-Crossed Wasteland, heavier than The Dream? Absolutely. It's, 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 I mean, have you heard it yet? I have not heard it yet. Yeah, it's, it's way heavier than The Dream. And we, we, not that we weren't happy with how heavy The Dream was, we just, we, we did our first album, and a lot of people really liked us because of the heaviness of the first album. And on our second album, we kind of were more experimental and, you know, trying things. And we're so proud of the second album, but for whatever reason, the second album kind of did around the same as the first album. It didn't take us to that next plateau. And a lot of our fans, we felt like we're kind of missing the heavier side of in this moment. Right. So we made a con- conscious effort this time. It is who we are. It is part of us. And when we play these, the dream songs live, you know, they're always heavier. So we wanted to make sure that we combined the two, the two elements, the, the melodic with the heavy and have it be really clear that we are a really heavy band, but we're still melodic. And kind of just define the sound of In This Moment with this record. And I think we did that. It's, it's definitely heavy. Okay. So it was definitely a conscious effort. It wasn't something that just sort of fell into place. You guys set out to make um, the heaviest album you could possibly make. Yes. Yes, we did. And, and we, you know, like the gun show, if that's all you've heard, that's like one of the heaviest songs on the album. It's It's more of the kind of just showing everybody like you know we're back and we're heavy but the album as a whole has a lot more depth and the combination of the melodic and the heavy versus just straight ahead heavy you know what i mean talk to us a little bit about the band's writing process do you guys write on the road do you prefer to wait till you get home to write do you write as a team or do you have someone write the bulk of the material well, it's, it's kind of been different for every album. In the first album, we were all together living in the same house and wrote the whole album together. The second album, you know, some of us wrote, like the guitar players wrote music in, in California and sent it to New York, and Jeff and Maria laid their parts on it and added their stuff to it there, and that's how we kind of demoed. And on this third album, we kind of had, it did, did it all kinds of different ways. We were so, we knew we were going to do the album, but we didn't have a lot of time, you know. We wanted to, to have it to a set schedule so we could take you know, had this new album coming out on the Mayhem Fest and everything. So it was basically like whoever could write anything, write it, you know. So I wrote a bunch of stuff in my room, and, and me and the guys got together and wrote some stuff at a rehearsal spot. 
And then me and Maria got together in Albany and, and, and worked out vocal parts for all of it and also wrote a couple other songs. So we had about 15 songs that we had just been piecing together in different ways. And we actually wrote on the road a little bit, which I really don't like to do. A lot of stress kind of took the fun out of the tour, having to worry about writing songs. Right. But we, we did do that, and we got maybe one song out of that, too. And we just took all the demo ideas into the studio with us and then, then kind of reworked them again with everybody adding all their, their stuff to it. And that's how this, this album came together. Okay. And it's interesting because you mentioned that you felt that you wanted to go in a different direction from the dream, but yet you're working with the same producer that you worked with on the dream. Um, what does Kevin bring to the table that makes you want to uh, uh, sort of uh, retake everything with him on this new album? He's the kind of guy, he's just an overall music guy. He he, he plays guitar, bass, drums, he can sing. He He's super talented, has so many ideas, and he also likes heavy music too. And we had a meeting with Kevin before we even, you know, settled on him as the producer. And the first thing he said is, I think this album needs to be a heavier album too. You know, okay. so he was all, all on board for it. He almost actually felt like it might have been his fault a little bit that it was so soft, it was, which we don't think at all. You know, we wanted it to be that way, and we only do what we want to do. You know, nobody tells us what we're going to do. We just right. kind of all went with the process, and the dream turned out the way it turned out. But with this one, Kevin had in his mind heavy. We all had heavy in our minds, so we attacked the, the whole project like that. And we wanted to work with Kevin just because of all of those things that are good about him, his, his skill as a producer, his talent as a songwriter. And he, and he helped us, you know, fine-tune all the songs once we brought him into them. With this album, you also welcomed a new bass player into the fold. Can you tell us about how he, um, he got the spot in the band and uh, what he contributed to the new album? Um, so that guy uh, is Kyle Conkiel, and he's uh, brand new. Basically, what happened uh, with, with us was on after Warp Tour ended, you know, we had a, a about three months off or so before we were going to go out on our headlining tour. And Jesse gave me a call a couple weeks after Warp Tour ended, and, and said that he just wasn't into touring anymore. I didn't believe him at first. You know, I was like, Are you kidding me? Because right. he'd been with us since the very beginning, and you know, has paid all these dues with us. You know, touring in the van and playing little clubs to nobody and he also did all the big things with us too so i was a little shocked but but he he genuinely wanted to do something else he just didn't want to be on tour and, and struggling like that and he had this dream of flying airplanes and wanted to become a pilot and he actually is a pilot now he got his license and he's flying and we're still friends and everything but once he said that to me we, i had about three months to find a new bass player during this moment you know so i just started looking around calling people that I knew I didn't want to put an ad out we didn't want to put an announcement out and have a big cattle call or anything like that right so we were just trying to do it word of mouth and this guy Kyle got got my information from a friend of mine and he was really hungry and asking me to to, to if he could audition and, and I was kind of putting him on the back burner because I didn't know anything about it and I had this guy that we thought was going to work out turned out it didn't work out at all and we were down to like two weeks away from the tour and so I, I, I talked to Kyle and gave him a list of songs to learn, and he came over and, and had them all perfect. He's a super talented bass player and uh, a great guitarist, too, and just a good musician overall. And he's young. He's only 22, and he lives at home, and he's, like, really a big fan of the band and has been in a lot of bands but never had anything successful happen for him yet. So just a perfect attitude and everything. So we, we gave him a shot and basically told him, you know, we'll take you out on the headlining tour you know, learn all the songs with us and do this tour, and that'll be your kind of test run. And he did amazingly. His personality gels with everybody. He's really humble. He knows his place. 
you know, he didn't get to play on the album. And, you know, he, he kind of knew that that was going to happen too because he just joined, right? Right. It's too early. We're not going to just bring some new guy in and split everything with him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it worked out great. And then after we got done with the tour and in the beginning of this year, we basically gave him a call and said, do you want to be in the band? And he said, yes. And, and we've been going, going strong ever since. Cool. Okay. So. And um, who ended up playing bass on the album? I played bass on a few songs, and Kevin played bass on a few songs. Kevin's, like like I said, an awesome overall musician. Okay. So him and I were just kind of splitting it up, whatever whatever felt right. you know. And it, even even when I was playing, Kevin was, was helping me with the bass lines and stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay. So. Um, how many new songs can people expect to hear during your live shows? Well, we're really actually super proud of this this new album, and we're really excited about it. And since it is heavier than the dream, you know, we kind of, I hate to say we're not playing things off the dream, but we're kind of pushing a lot of those songs to the side and playing stuff off the first album, you know, the main, you know, songs that everybody likes off the first album, and then kind of filling out the set with more more new songs. So we're probably going to be playing, we're going to be playing about four new songs, two old songs on Mayhem, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, more than that live, you know, we're, we're doing some headlining shows on the way home and we're probably playing, you know, seven, six or seven songs off the new album and only one song off the dream. We're coming back heavy. We just want everyone to know this is who we are. So we're still going to play the dream songs, you know, in our, in our career, but, but we want to play the heavier stuff this year. I gotcha. I mean, you also want to make sure people know about the new album as well. So that would only yeah. make sense. Yeah. And on the Mayhem tour, it's a metal tour. You know, we're not going to play our pop songs. You're not going to be doing an unplugged show. Uh... <laughs> no, not at all. Um, with the Dream, you guys actually put out uh, what was called the Ultraviolet Edition. Um, how do these extended albums come about? Is it just extended or extra material that's recorded on purpose beforehand? Is it uh, recorded while on the road? Uh, how does this all fall into place? Well, with us and with a lot of bands, I've noticed since we did it, you know, whenever the album's been out for a while, it's kind of like kind of kind of dipping down in sales. But but the band gets like a good tour, like we had Warp Tour that right. was coming up. You know, mm-hmm. they'll re-release the album with with some additional footage or videos or whatever they can come up with. And in our case, we wanted to everyone wanted us to do this cover of Call Me. You know, the label, the management had the idea, and the label was really into it. So we. We did it with Kevin and went to went to Ozzy's house and actually recorded this uh, this cover song of Call Me to be right. on it also and that that was just kind of to coincide with Warp Tour and give the Dream a, a final push you know mm-hmm. so that that's all that's all it was it was basically like we're doing Warp Tour this year let's re-release the album with some extra stuff on it and a cover song and hopefully that'll give it life and that kind of th- that kind of thought process. I got you. Okay. Um... One thing that I've heard recently when interviewing different bands, um, some have actually said that, you know, MySpace, YouTube, downloading and so on has affected them in an adverse manner. But with your band, obviously, MySpace was actually leveraged in a positive manner. Uh, Do you think overall, you know, the Internet has helped the music industry or do you think that it's uh, hurt it? I mean, I think overall it's helped, and you know, people are gonna 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 complain about sales dipping. And I know that sales are dipping in overall for a lot of artists, but it's still not to the point. Of next next year, you're not gonna have to buy albums anymore, and that's just not the case. You know, you know, I was looking at our our sound scans, you know, for our record, The Dream, and 
the vast majority, you know, like 85% of the sales were, were actual CDs, you know, huh. and, and only a small percentage were, were, were digital downloads from iTunes and stuff. So that tells me that it's still selling. It's not selling as much as it used to be, and a lot of people are downloading and stuff, but people are still wanting to buy that CD and have that CD in their hand. And, and with, with the, the Internet, you know, you can just get it out there to more people. Like our Facebook and our, our MySpace page is our direct line to our fans, and we can interact with them and, and talk to them and put stuff on there and see what they think of it. And, you know, that's always been a big help for in this moment. And, and I think you just, you know, in general, it, it is what it is. It's, gonna, it's not going to go away. Right. So, you know, as bands and, and in the business, we just have to adapt, you know, and CDs are still selling, so we're not, we're not panicking yet, you know. So, so, so Prince can uh, bite his tongue for now. I don't know if you saw the, uh, uh, the quote that he had earlier this week where he said that the Internet was going nowhere and that uh, uh, no one was going to be buying anything online uh, in, in the next few years. So it's sort of, <laughs> sort of astonishing that he would say that. Yeah, it is. I mean, and, and I'm sure like somebody like, you know, when, when Nine Inch Nails did that digital release of their album only, you know, a big band like that, they can get a lot of a lot of sales and a lot of profit from something like that, you know. But right. for us, you know, it's just a tool for us to just tell everybody that we're there and, re- and interact with our fans and just kind of promote the record and promote what we're doing. Right. And actually, that's an interesting point, because I've heard people say, well, Nine Inch Nails can pull it off because of their name and because of the weight that Trent Reznor has. Uh, Do you think that that's a fair assessment that only big bands like that can do it? Or do you think that that's also a viable channel for someone like in this moment? Well, I think at this point within this moment, it it may not be the best idea. I think if we were like labelless and we're still able to promote ourselves effectively by ourselves without a record label, and then we could release it only online and we got all the money for it, I'm sure we would have some sales and it would be pretty nice to us because we would make some money off of it versus having the label take money from you. But it's not going to be like it would be when a multi-platinum artist or band does something like that. You know, it just right. we don't have that many fans. So. Gotcha. Okay. That, that, that's an honest assessment. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of issues when bands have uh, women up front, either singing or playing guitar or whatever, and they end up in, you know, the hottest chicks in metal or whatnot. A lot of the attention is focused on just, you know, in this case, Maria, uh, as opposed to the rest of the band. Is that something that bugs you at all? Or does that really not matter that as long as the band is getting pressed, that that's all that really counts with you guys? Well, at the end of the day, that is all that really matters. And, and I kind of, I've kind of noticed like, you know, some people really love it in this moment, and some people really like to hate on it in this moment. <laughs> and to me, if they're hating on us, that means they're thinking about us, you know. And right. and like like the saying goes, you know, there's no such thing as bad press. It's like if we're if we're hated, then that means people are talking about our band and stuff like that. And with Maria, you know, being honest, sticking metal, you know, she gets a lot of flack from from journalists and stuff, you know. And they always bring it up, and it's always a big deal. And they always ask about does it overshadow the music? And a lot of people look at it. <laughs> in a sexual way and kind of does that and it takes that away from the music. But in reality, in this moment is not Maria Brink, hot of chicken metal in this right. moment is a band mm-hmm. and we have music and we have an album. And if you listen to that album and you hear Maria's voice and you hear the music and the guitars and the drums and what we're doing, that's who we are. And at the end of the day, if, it, if her being hot of chicken metal brings people to hear that album, it speaks for itself, you know? So we don't have to 
keep arguing about no our music's good no our music's good you know it's like just listen to listen to the music and you know that it's not just about maria being hot some people will focus on that and hey any press is good press gotcha okay yeah and, and i mean honestly if the music wasn't there do you, do you honestly think that you know you guys would be on your third album <laughs> you know no, exactly so i think that speaks for itself um yeah and that's what i say too is just if anyone's talking about Maria, just listen to the music. Yeah. You know, listen to the band, and that'll just say it all. Absolutely. Um, you guys have played a bunch of cool different festivals and been out on a bunch of different tours. Is there any one thing that sticks out in your mind, tour-wise? Tour-wise? I mean, yeah, we've, had, we've been a very fortunate band as far as that goes. And, you know, on our first record cycle, we, we got to do the arena tour with Ozzy and Rob Zombie, which, to this day, that's that's like the bar that's set, you know, for us to, to get to is to be able to play venues like that, whether it's opening or, or, you know, headlining our own, you know, it's, it's, that is the ultimate, the ultimate, you know, is to be in an arena in front of that many people at one time. And, you know, we would love to get to that. So the Aussie tour and playing like, you know, Madison Square Garden and Staples Center and these huge arenas, you know, it's, it's hard to top that with anything, anything we can do. Plus I'm a huge Ozzy fan. So getting to stand on the side of the stage and watch Ozzy after I just played is, you know, it's a dream of a lifetime. So I, I don't know what we're ever going to do. That's going to be better than that. Honestly. <laughs> so what are you trying to say? You, you started out at the top of the mountain and you guys will continuously try to climb back up there. Well, yeah, exactly. We, we were, we got to the top and see it really quick and you know, we want to come back. And so now we're just, we're just on the bottom of the slope trying to scurry our way up there. Gotcha. And does a tour like that intimidate you, though, when you first find out, you know, you're going to be playing with two big-name artists like that? Um, you know, honestly, like, I've been nervous about tours now than I was back then. You know, we were just kind of like, oh, detour, yeah, and we just go out there and do it. And that's how it is, I guess, with any tour. You know, you're on the tour, you've got you to show everybody how good you are, and you just got to go out there and do your best. You know, we do the same thing. We weren't really, we weren't really that nervous, surprisingly. <laughs> I think I'm more nervous for for Mayhem Fest than I was for that. Hmm. I know it's weird. Any specific reason why? Just uh, because you guys have to live up to a certain, I don't know, expectation, or because of other bands that you guys are playing with, or no reason maybe in particular. Bit, maybe it's a little bit of both, and especially at the at, the, at the, this point with the third album and it being a big important album for us. You know, if it if it doesn't do well, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to take us to that next spot, which is really important that we want to just keep climbing the ladder. We don't want to go down, you know, so there's a lot of pressure with that. And Mayhem is a big tour, so it's a big opportunity to make an impact. And we are playing with bands like Shadows Ball and Chimera, you know, that are that are seasoned and, and amazing metal, metal bands. And, and we have to, you know, hold our own with those guys every day. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot to think about with this tour, and I guess everything's just seems so much more important now than it did. I guess we were just kind of flying on autopilot after that first record. And now, now it's like, this has to happen. We have to make this happen. You know, we have to be killer. We have to have the best songs we can have. And, and everything's been working out great. I don't know why I'm more nervous about this, but I just am, I guess. <laughs> well, you're just being normal, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. A, a lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, I guess they idolize musicians so much and put them up on a pedestal. They, you know, see you guys as superheroes and don't realize that, you know, you're just as affected by all this stuff like 
the general population. So. Yeah, we are. It, it's we are just like exactly the same way as we were when we first got our record deal. You know, no, nothing has changed for us in this moment since our first album came out. As far as where we live, who, what we do every day, you know, who we hang out with, you know, what we drive, everything's the same. So we and we want that. We we, we don't want to be rich or anything crazy. You know, we're not saying we got to be rich and millionaires and stuff like that, but just to be able to take that next step. I actually saw uh, on YouTube on our, our newest video, there's like comments going left and right and people on there actually think that we're rich or think that we have money. And it's <laughs> really funny. They're arguing like, I know they have money. That, that's interesting. I spoke to uh, Pat from a group called um, Heaven Below yesterday. And um, he was part of Union Underground previously. And, you know, they had music. Um, actually, they did the theme song for um, uh, Monday Night Raw for WWE. And, you know, it was one of the first things that I asked. I said, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that have this misconception that just because, you know, you have the theme song to a pay-per-view or to a show or that you've made it to radio, that automatically you're that dude in the back of a, a limo in that hot tub, you know, with the, you know, all the bling and all the hotties. And I said, you know, a lot of cases that can't be farther from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's perception and reality. That's one thing I learned from being in a band, you know, cause growing up, I always wanted to do this. And I, I, you know, I was a avid metal fan. I would buy every magazine that had metal in it. I was always getting albums when they came out, you know, I had a huge CD collection, you know, just, and I wanted to make it in music so bad. And I wanted to get signed and put out and get a record deal and put out a record and see it in the store and then go on a real tour, you know, and all these things that I built up in my mind and what they were and looking in the magazines and seeing the people's faces and, oh, wow, that's the guy from such, I know everybody's names, you know, I'm a huge nerd. And <laughs> once I got out there and realized, you know, there's perception and reality. And, and the reality is everybody that's doing this is the same as everybody else is not doing it. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the club, it's like there's nothing really different. You're the same person. You're doing the same thing. People just see you in a different way when they when they look at you in the magazines or, or are listening to the album and looking through the pictures. They build up this mystique about you and, and what you are. But everybody's just a normal person. And then there are, like, the legends like Mustaine and Ozzy where, you know, I, I'm just like, oh, my God, they, they definitely live up to my, you know, my, my early perception of them. But for the most part, you know, it's it's a lot different than people think. Gotcha. Uh, you've actually toured with Mustaine as well. How much interaction have you had in the past with Dave Mustaine and with Ozzy and others that you've toured with? Well, with Ozzy, you know, he's such a big star. He's really cool. You know, and if he sees you and you go, Ozzy, he'll look at you and go, hey, you know, he's, but he's always got a little group of people around him ushering him through wherever it is he's going because, you know, everybody wants to take a picture with Ozzy and everybody wants to, talk to Ozzy, so he's kind of sheltered with, with people on tours and things like that, but the few times that we did meet him and talk to him, and like when we recorded the song at his house, super cool, and, and, and just an awesome regular dude, and Dave Mustaine, I've heard so many stories about him, I was terrified to, to, uh, to meet him, you know, I'm a huge Megadeth fan, I've listened to all their albums my whole life, and we got the Megadeth tour, we main support, and I was so excited but also at the same time like oh my gosh you know i've heard he's mean and somebody some of the other bands had told me you know don't look him in the eye and all this stuff and the first day of the tour i ran into him in this hallway and there was no escape you know i couldn't turn around and run he'd see me so i had to just walk right out and say hey dave how you doing I'm a huge fan thanks for getting us on the tour we're so honored and he was so cool and he was so cool the whole tour to us 
he like hung out with us and, you know, took care of us and gave us advice and, you know, we put him a lot, you know, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things, like I've heard from other people that he's not cool, but to us, David Thing was, was super cool. Cool. And you've used Schechter guitars for a while. Why did you choose to use their specific guitars? Well, I still use, um, Blake switched to Ernie Ball, but I still use Schechter and Basically, when we got when we got our first deal, you know, before we were even signed, you know, we signed with our management first, and our manager was with Schechter, and basically he brought us to Schechter, and they agreed to give us guitars when we, you know, we weren't anybody, you know, and they they gave us like two or three guitars each, and I'd always had these crappy guitars I had to go buy myself, and you know, crappy gear. So the fact that they were with us from the beginning, I'm I stay with them. You know what I mean. The, the people that the support us from the t- from the beginning are the people that I'm going to stay with, and it's more about relationships. Mm-hmm. Now I think they have they have great guitars too, but just you know, I'm just we're with them because they they get they were with us from the beginning. Okay. So, and our our new bass player is playing them too, so it's all good. Okay. Cool. And um, what about your setup um, with the Schecters that you have? Is everything stocked? Do you have them set up specifically for you? What Pickups are you using? Tuning, amps, effects, so on and so forth. We 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 use uh, mostly seven strings for most of the stuff, and uh, I like EMG. So the, the the Hellraiser guitars that they have are already set up just like I like them, you know. And they they're so generous; they, they give me anything that I want that they have. Hmm. So I'm I'm pretty much not wanting for anything from Schecter. Um, using their guitars with the EMGs into my Crank uh, Rev Plus half stack which I really like crank that same thing with them. They, they were with, with us from the beginning and gave us stuff when no one else would. So, you know, and I love the guys there. So I'm with them too. And I use Dunlop pedals and stuff. And I have a really simplistic rig. I don't like, I don't like a lot of bells and whistles. I don't like if something goes wrong that I can't find out what the problem is quickly. So I right. just have pedals right into the amp and with the guitar. Gotcha. Okay. And um, with the seven string, do you do any type of uh, specific tuning? Is it, um, the standard tuning, do you tune down further? Oh, we've got a Sony tuning that's stupid now. We we, <laughs> we have regular standard B tunings on some songs. We have drop C sharp tunings with a low B on top on some songs. We have drop D tunings with a low B on top. And then we also have drop A tunings from the new album. <laughs> so it's like crazy. We we bring four guitars each just so we have a main and a backup. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the other bands look at us like, oh, my God, why do you guys have so many guitars? <laughs> we didn't think when we were doing the album, we didn't think, like, we got to play these songs live. We just recorded stuff with different tunings to see how it would sound and things like that. And then once we're done with the record, we're trying to figure out how to play all the stuff. We're like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so so you still stick to the same tuning that you use in the studio, though, when you play live. You're not uh, augmenting that just to fit what you're taking out on the road. No. No, we play the same tune. Okay. You guys, well, actually, you, Maria, and Jeff were part of Talking Metal on Fuse. You guys did a few songs for them. You did Pantera's On Broken, and you actually did Run to the Hills, which didn't end up airing, but actually made its way to the uh, Talking Metal uh, YouTube site. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. I mean, it was like, it was awesome. They, they, had, we, you know, we met them when our first album, we did a press junket and we met Mark and John and they were really cool dudes. And we did their podcast a few times and then they asked us to be part of this. And, you know, we weren't on tour at the time, but we were so excited to do it. So I flew out to New York with Jeff and we jammed on the Unbroken and Run to the Hills for a couple of days. And then Maria just learned her parts in, in Albany. And then we all came together in New York city and 
and did it, and it turned out great. And you know what? To, to this day, people are like, "Play, I'm broken. You guys design broken is awesome." <laughs> I heard that's how I first heard about you guys, and you know all this stuff. And, and we're not we're not playing it this summer. We probably should be, but but yeah, we hear about it all the time, and it was a blast. Those guys are the, are, are the greatest. Cool. And uh, how did you guys choose those songs? Did they send you a list of songs to possibly learn? Did you guys say, you know, we'd be interested in doing these songs? How did that process go? They pretty much had a list of songs they were trying to get permission to, to do, and they kind of were telling us what, what they were. But at the la- you know, in the last week, they, they narrowed it down to those two songs, and that's what we learned. Okay. Um, you guys, actually, we talked about Blondie in the past, uh, Previously in the interview, I should say, uh, from reading online, you guys have covered other bands like Slayer and Lacuna Coil. Are there any other covers that you'd like to do in the future? We we are actually we're like talking about doing a cover on this album, and we went through several different options and ideas. And at the end of the day, we just decided we don't we don't need to do a cover, and we didn't want it to turn out like last time where everybody else wanted us to do a particular song and we didn't like it, or you know. So we just decided to stick with our own stuff, but. Well, actually, one of our one of our greatest ideas that we would like to try, and I don't know if we're going to get the chance or not, but it would be to do a covers album where each member picks, you know, like five songs that he wants to cover, and then the band as a whole will, will pick from that five, two songs from each that, that the band covers and does a whole album like that. That would be cool. It, it, it would be pretty cool because it would be, you know, totally different from everybody's taste. What's the best place where people can go to find out about the band? You discussed the MySpace before and the Facebook. Is that where you guys want people to go to check the band out or find out about the band, or where should they go? That's it, man, MySpace and Facebook. And if you go to MySpace, we're always updating, and we're always trying to make it look good and have songs on it. And I know that MySpace is working on a new format right now, but you can always hear and see our tour dates on, on MySpace, and we really focus a lot of attention on making sure that looks good and everything's updated. But also on Facebook, we've been on there since since the beginning of the year. We opened a Facebook page where we actually are member, band members are on it when we were doing the album this year. So mm-hmm. if you want to actually talk to people in the band, interact with the fans and other people that like in the song, Facebook is a really great place to do it too. And you can hear the songs and everything else too. This is Chris from In This Moment, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Just
There you go, Chris from In This Moment. And that was a little In This Moment coming off of Star Cross Wasteland. That is Just Drive. One of my favorite songs to have come out this year. Uh, absolutely cool track from start to finish. Um, want to thank Chris for coming on. Want to thank uh, Paco Fernandez from Century Media for making that interview happen. Uh, also want to uh, apologize to Chris to Patrick and Jen and Chip and Baco for taking so long to put this interview out there. Again, this was done uh, before Starcross Wasteland came out. Uh, this was back in July. Uh, unfortunately, as I've been saying for the last few episodes, you know, had all this stuff happen in my personal life and sort of had to put everything aside for a bit. So I'm sort of playing catch up here. Um, next episode will be an interview that I've promised for a bit. Uh, it is with John Bush, and uh, this episode will be the first anniversary show um, of Mars Attacks. It will be episode 21. It was, it'll be over an hour long, uh, squeezing some anthrax, some uh, armored saint, and maybe some other uh, surprise stuff in there with John Bush singing. In any event, Check out MarsAttacksRadio.com. That's where you'll be able to get the latest and greatest information regarding the podcast, the Mars Attacks Radio Show, which can be heard on Mark Striegel Radio. You'll see the times when that airs in the top right-hand corner. Uh, you can also link over to the Twitter account, Facebook, MySpace, so on and so forth. You can also check out my Spanish-language podcast, which is Fusion Sonica. Everything is done in Spanish. Music is can be a mix of Spanish or English, hard rock or metal, or some rock bands we've gotten into uh, interviewing as well. Uh, really depends on uh, what you're looking for. Just go to the uh, website in any event and check out uh, if a band that you're interested in is appearing on the show. Thanks once again for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. We'll leave you with a little in this moment. This is the Great Divide coming off of the dream the previous album that they put out i just love this song so i really wanted to wrap the episode up with this track so thanks again for listening and see you next time right here on mars attacks <laughs>